Anyone's Game podcast. Following women's football. Guten Tag, this is the Anyone's Game podcast. On a packed episode 14, Stuart Mitchell, Chris Marshall and Campbell Finlayson talk you through match day three of the World Cup. We also hear from Hibernian head coach Grant Scott, who gave his reaction to their Champions League draw that will see them travel to Slovenia. And we also spoke to Jockey Lawrence after Aberdeen's under-19s beat Hearts to win the League Cup. Cue the crowd noise. Hello and welcome to the Anyone's Game podcast. We're here with another bonus episode to review match day three of the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup. We have again Campbell Finlayson and Chris Marshall to review the games. Hello to you both. Hello. Last year. And Campbell this week's fresh off the plane from Paris, so it's time for, for him to give us a little bit of experience of his World Cup visit to France. But as always this week, we'll start off with Group A. The results from Group A on match day three were South Korea 1, Norway 2 and Nigeria 0, France 1. We'll begin with France like we usually do and their World Cup tour took them to Rennes this time. Once again, their home support turned out in numbers. The French already knew they were through, but they did want to finish top. Their game against Nigeria was a relaxed first half, but they seemed to have plenty of chances in the second half and could have really been coasting, Chris. Um, yeah, they could have been. So this was, uh, funnily enough, this was the game I was watching in the airport uh, as I was waiting for my flight back to Scotland. So I, I, I saw pretty much all of this up until just after the, the incident with the, the penalty, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, the first half did seem a bit kind of pedestrian. You thought, obviously, given the, the, the other game in the group, France weren't necessarily guaranteed the top spot, so you would have thought that they would have gone for a bit more, but they did seem to pick up the pace in the second half. And you are right, they had a number of opportunities to really drive home that, that lead that they, they eventually got. But the goal itself that they got, well, that was... No, that's probably one of the talking points. It's very topical if you're a Scotland fan as well, I think. Yeah, so it was nil nil. Nigeria edging closer towards a valuable point. Then our old friend Var steps in with 15 minutes ago. First of all, with the penalty, did you have any complaint? No, I thought the penalty was all right. I, I didn't have that much to complain about the penalty. I think it was just everything else that kind of happened after it. Yeah, so obviously Renner steps up, casually hits the post. Wouldn't have expected it to take the penalty anyway, but then a couple of minutes later, Vara judges Nadozi to have been off her line, gets a book in, penalty's retaken, and it's a goal. So obviously, as a Scotland fan, we'll touch on that in a little bit, but initially, your thoughts of when it happened, first of all, in the France game, what, what was that like, Campbell? I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a stickler for the rules, and as much as it's a bit harsh, it is the rules that your foot's off the line, that's a penalty. So, I mean, the fact they're retaking it, I can't really disagree with the decision as much as I kind of want to, but Renard this time, as much as centre-back normally as well, doesn't normally take a penalty. She's retaken it and she's made sure it was in the corner and that's all you really want. I mean, it's a huge goal for France in terms of them topping the group. And it could have been a huge goal for Nigeria. I mean, obviously they got through in the end, but depending on the results, that could have been a heck of a lot different. So Chris, we spoke about it on Wednesday night in the podcast with Andrew immediately post-match. This is kind of where the alarm bell started to ring a little bit. I mean, they go off ridiculously two nights later. But on Monday night, we had this penalty. We had the Sydney Schneider one that we've spoken about before on another bonus episode of the podcast. And it just gradually started to get bigger and bigger, more of an issue, didn't it? Yeah, I would actually say this one was worse than our one. Um, Obviously, from an emotional standpoint, it wasn't. But if you think about the circumstances around it, so when they are in our steps to take the penalty... Centre-back's taking penalties is fine by me. Sergio Ramos isn't, seems to be making a career out of it these days. But um, Rendonard steps up, she hits the post and it goes wide. So she's missed penalty. So what advantage has the keeper got from that other than Wendy Renard has missed the penalty? So the idea that then that gets retaken for the fact that she hasn't scored it, it'd be different to see, see if the keeper had saved it. I can understand, given the letter of the law, as, as uh, Campbell says, if we're going to be strict in the rule, then if the keeper had saved it, yeah. Totally on board, understand it. But the fact Wendy Renard missed, I, I just don't understand the, the thought process and the logic behind then getting a retake at that. It, it just didn't really tally up in my head. Yeah, yeah, I get your point, Chris, again. But if you're going to be the real, see, if they save it, then obviously you need to stick to it. So why shouldn't they stick to it, despite the fact it's not hit the target? That's Renard's fault for missing the penalty in the first place. I mean, you're 12 yards away from a goal that is pretty big. To miss the target itself is something that's it's pretty hard to do. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, should they not just have, as I can see why it's been retaken, and it's a bit of luck from a French point of view, but at the same time, it's probably the right decision. 
So we'll, we'll touch on this again, the goalkeeper rule on the, the, the goal line a little bit later. But France won the winners in this game and that left Nigeria with a tense wait to see if they would qualify for the last 16 as the best third place team. And Norway against South Korea, 2-1 victors, but they got off to the, the simplest of starts with a, a penalty award. Graham Hansen gets them on their way to six points and then a second penalty in the, the second half, similar manner, and Norway are, are two up. But Korea did get one back and scored their first goal of the tournament when there was a lovely back heel assist, if you if you saw that. Yeah, the, well, this is what this is when I kind of missed because I was travelling from the centre of Paris to the airport and then going through the twenty thousand checks that are required at Charles de Gaulle. But um, I did catch the highlights and we back and you see it was a lovely back heel assist. Um, I thought I thought this was the right outcome in terms of the result. And actually, I think if you were to put on balance of performance over the three group games, I think Norway have proven to be the better of the two teams. South Korea, I think, have been pretty disappointing when you consider some of the talent they've had at their disposal as well. So. Um, yeah, it may be two penalties, but I don't think you could argue too much for the two Norwegian penalties. And I think on the balance of play, they probably deserved it as well. So the table finished. France at the top on nine points. 100% record so far going through the group stage. Norway finished second on six points. Nigeria third on three points with a minus two goal difference to wait and see if that was enough to get them through to the knockout phase. And South Korea finished zero, uh, bottom on zero points. Uh, moving on to Group B, South Africa nil, Germany 4 and China nil, Spain nil. Typically, I chose the China-Spain game, but let's go with the goals first. Germany, 4-0 winners over South Africa, close to, and could have been even more than four. It could have been. I mean, Germany started the tournament pretty slowly, obviously beat China 1-0. They started slow, as we say, as well against Spain. Probably should have been a goal or two down in that game before obviously getting the goal before half-time and holding on to win there. Whereas against South Africa, they scored early. And they seem to be pretty comfortable. I mean, like yourself, Stuart, asked that much to Spain China game because it was the game that had something riding on it. Turned out to be the wrong decision. It's pretty much nothing happened. But um, Germany, they've been quietly going about their business and now obviously got that goal, that win to worry about four goals. It may sort of see teams can open them up a bit, but as we were talking about before we started recording, Germany in the opposite half of the draw from England, France and USA, if they're likely going to play the Dutch or Canada if they can get past Nigeria. And then they also would like the chance of playing Italy in the semi-final. So, I mean, the chance of Germany getting to the final are pretty big. And I think if they keep playing like this, then they could be not a dark horse, but one that teams may see slip under the radar. I uh, chose China-Spain as well, uh, because as you say, it was one with something riding on it. And um, I think what you got here was two teams that played pretty much in exactly the same way, kind of the way they played throughout the, the tournament so far in terms of lots of nice passing, lots of kind of movement in the kind of middle two-thirds of the pitch. But then you kind of got to the, the goal end and they were either wasteful or weren't producing enough opportunities to make it matter. I thought Spain maybe went for it a bit more. They seemed more keen to win it. But maybe it's because they knew that if it was a draw, then they would still be in that second position um, given the outcome uh, of, of the match. But yeah, um, I, I thought it was all right to watch. It was like it wasn't bad football to watch. It just wasn't particularly inspiring when you think of some of the games that have happened in the tournament so far. Spain had their chances, though. I think if anyone was going to take it, it was Spain. I think I read afterwards China had one attempt on, on goal. So Spain may be disappointed not to go through with more than four points. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair comment. Um, as I was saying, they, they definitely seemed more keen to go for it. Um, and that, that resulted in more chances. But at the end of the day, they, they got probably the position they were shooting for. Um, they may have fancied their chances against Germany, but I think realistically, I think probably second was where their their head was going in terms of the expectations for the group. So they probably came out of the group fairly happy, though obviously with the way the draw has panned out for them, it's, it's maybe not the easiest, shall we say, uh, in the next round. So Germany's goal scorers were Leopold's, Debritz, Pop and Magul scoring a fourth just after half-time to make it 4-0 and it could have been a lot more. So the Group B finishes with Germany top on nine points, Spain and China both on four, both making it through to the knockout phase where South Africa sit bottom on zero. Moving on to Group C, Italy nil, Brazil one and Jamaica one, Australia four. I picked the, the Italy-Brazil game out of these two, just thought it would be an entertaining game and there was a lot of entertaining football in show. Yeah, I thought there was, there was a, I thought Brazil were, and Italy were really good. Actually, um, I thought what was interesting about this game was not so much the, the starting lineups. it was very much kind of as you would expect it to be. It was quite open. Um, Italy obviously not necessarily needing the result because they were, they were guaranteed to go through, but Brazil 
needing a win if they want to want to at least uh, guarantee getting through and maybe shoot for second, maybe get their draw a little bit easier. But I thought it was uh, it was quite open and as you say, really entertaining. I also thought that Brazil they showed some of that attacking flair that is often talked about with Brazil. I thought that uh, players like Andres Senia and obviously you had Marta. Um, but I actually thought they got better when they took Cristiante off. And I, I wonder if, from watching that yourself, Stuart, what your thoughts were? Yeah, I, I thought that, yeah, second half, it just seemed to, I don't know if they relaxed more or they seemed to wake up a bit more. But you, you obviously had Italy getting the goal chopped off early. Girelli's goal being ruled out, another offside flag, which Italy must have having an absolute nuisance when they look up and see that every time. Um, but I thought Brazil started to, to grow into the game a lot more second half and just looked like they were enjoying it. And that, that's something I don't think we'd seen from them so far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that Girelli goal, it's kind of a shame it had to be ruled out for offside because the two touches and then the finish were of the highest order, but she was she was clearly miles off when it happened. But yeah, um, as you say, she kind of brought in a couple of the youngsters to kind of freshen things up. Marta came off when it was still 0-0, which was interesting because I think there was a few people surprised at that, but actually we know that Marta's had this ongoing fitness uh, fitness issue over the, the course of the tournament. Um I've just realised that she obviously didn't come off it now because she scored the, the penalty that put them through. But um, yeah, it, it was a it was a good game, entertaining. And I, I think Italy have definitely been the, one of the entertainers of the tournament so far, whether it be winning or in this case losing. So Mara hit the record, 17 World Cup goals, so now surpasses Miroslav Klose, Germany, six-time World Player of the Year. What a record for our Campbell. That's definitely worth a talking point. Oh yeah. I mean, Marta's 33 now, I want to say. Possibly another World Cup winner, but if not, I mean, she's been fantastic to watch from the women's point of view across the women's game for many years now. I mean, even people that wouldn't have been, if you didn't watch a women's game or watch the Women's World Cup or anything like that at all, you would know the name Marta. She was everywhere when, say, these players of the world, eh, player of the year kind of things across the world. She was, I mean, she's been fantastic to watch. Both goals in this tournament just scored have been penalties, but I don't think that really takes away from the sort of the achievement she's had, especially at her age, it's just, it's just fantastic to watch and it'd be good to see Brazil through in the next round. I mean, that was it was a really entertaining group. Uh, Australia, Brazil and Italy all at times played some great football. I mean, we looked at Italy and said they've been entertaining across the first two games, but Brazil in this game really took the game to the Italians. I mean, they were, they were fantastic to watch at times. I know it finished, obviously, just the one goal coming from the penalty, but it was a very open game. It was great to watch and Hope to see Brazil and Marta do well in the next round. You're right about it being an entertaining group. So in the, the other match in Group C, it was a vital three points for Australia securing qualification. I mean, they've done well to come back from that surprise and defeat to Italy on match day one and then the comeback against Brazil on match day two. But one thing that was the talking point is Sam Kerr collecting all four goals and even the Jamaica coach said he would pay to watch her. And she now joins the, the score, uh, Alex Morgan at the top of the scoring charts. Was it the Sam Kerr show then for Australia? I think it. Very much. Yeah, it very much is. I think with, with Sam Kerr, I think the thing that impresses me most about her is, is her movement in the box. She always is in space. Like There's not many times where she's maybe having to jostle somebody. All her finishes, especially when it's headers, her ability to get between the two centre-backs is so good that she finds herself in these oppositions and obviously five goals so far this tournament, which is a fantastic return to score four against Jamaica. You can you discount it as Jamaica, but then you, that same discount you can do for Alex Morgan when she scored against five five against Thailand. Four goals is a, a great feat. And I think as long as she is playing well, then Australia have got a chance. I think for me, though, the thing that's maybe slightly disappointing me about Australia is maybe the other players in the squad, these players that have been playing in these last two, three tournaments where they have been almost grown towards this. Obviously, they won the most recent Asian Cup um, and they have players like Caitlin Ford who maybe have shown flashes. But I think for Australia to really do well, they need people like Caitlin Ford, like Lisa Devana, the, the experience of Lisa Devana, um, to really shine through and maybe supplement that because at the moment they feel, and I'd be interested to see your, your, both your guys' takes on this, they feel a little bit one note. And if Sam Kerr comes out, do I feel like they're going to get past a, a good team? And given how they're from in the group, I'm not entirely sure about that at the moment. Just want to take up on that, uh, Chris. The, uh, if it's, I find it very similar to Canada. And uh, if Christine Sinclair doesn't turn up, Canada possibly don't turn up. I mean, I know she got her first goal, we'll talk about later on as well, but it's similar to Kerry Australia. Australia, I should say, against Italy, they deserve to lose. They haven't been the greatest team you've seen. Neither have the Canadians. I mean, 
I think what they need to do is just saying get players like Devana and Ford and the rest of the squad into the game and try and help the likes of obviously Sinclair at Canada and then uh, Kea, sorry, at Australia. It'll make a difference. But I'm really looking forward to the Australia-Norway game on Saturday night because Norway, obviously, they're not the main, they're not the top seed, sorry, main top side in their group. Uh, they weren't, sorry, in their group, whereas um, Australia were in Group C. But it wouldn't surprise me on terms of rankings, at least, to see Norway sort of surprise Australia, if you will. I think it'll be a really entertaining game to watch. I like your comparison with Canada there, Campbell. I mean, I've seen more of, of Canada than I have of Australia. Really, the first I've seen of Australia is at this year's World Cup. But I agree on the point that it just feels like something's missing. Not quite sure what it is, but with Canada, I feel that there's more quality and experience around Christine Seclair with Becky and, and Lawrence. There seems to be a bit more of a an attacking threat. Whereas I, I do think that's been missing from Australia, but I also think it's hard to to judge that after only watching three games. One of the things I always think of when I watch Australia is Stephen Dolby at Queen of the South in Scotland, that it's there's there's one person that always seems to be making the headlines. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, it's a it's a good comparison. And the thing is it's not necessarily always been the case. Um Lisa Devana has probably been the stalwart of the Australian area during their evolution over the last ten to twelve years. But they've had Devana, actually, when they, they've done well, it was, it was Ford and Kellen Knight that were kind of really key players. Um, I think I, I'm, something I've also noticed as the tournament's progressed is there has been a ton of rotation across the board. It's not been a case of one or, one or two managers. You know, it seems to be a lot of that happening. And I think what you're then seeing with that is maybe some of the things that we've talked about with Scotland uh, are coming, coming to fruition with some of the other teams and maybe... Because they're rotating teams, maybe it's because they think, well, it's Jamaica, so it's a weaker opposition. Uh, by the way, fair shout, fair shout to Jamaica, they got their goal, so they have something to, to take home with. But, um, yeah, I think it's been a bit... I just think a lot of rotation has been happening. I think this is why a team like Australia have been very reliant on Sam Kerr because she is... You can hang your hat on her quality to get you through, but that's only going to work against a certain level of opposition, no matter how good she is. Yeah, so Lauren got the goal for Jamaica, like you just said there. So a good tournament for them because they've turned up right. People got right behind them at the very beginning against Brazil. It just felt like that they were going to be that likeable team that the neutral got behind or people were going to get behind the underdog. But for them, considering where they were with Bob Marley's daughter getting involved, there'd be a lot made of that story. It's just about building from there, really, for, for a side like Jamaica. It's what you'd call the cool runnings effect. It was the same when Jamaica went to obviously the Winter Olympics and folk laughed at them for being so like, it's, it's hot in Jamaica, you're not going to obviously get a bobsleigh team. They didn't do great there, but it worked. folk got behind them and it's sort of the same with the football. I know it's a strange comparison to here, but people were behind them, even with Jamaica playing Scotland in the sort of warm-up game before the tournament. A lot of Scottish fans were quite looking at Jamaica and thinking, oh, I want them to win these games. Yes, they turned up and were turned over in pretty much every game, but it wasn't as if they sat back and were broken down. Jamaica tried to play football. They tried to attack the teams we're playing against. Would you look at teams, I don't want to obviously slate others, but the likes of Thailand and things where they have just went, look, we're not going to win this thing. Let's sit back. Jamaica tried to play football. Yes, it ended up backfiring, but at least they played their game. And hopefully in the back of the World up again in four years' time. Yeah, so promising future for Jamaica, but that defeat and the win for Australia meant that Australia finished second ahead of Brazil, as even though they have the same goal difference, Australia have scored more goals. So Group C finished Italy, top with six points, Australia six points, scoring eight with a goal difference of three, Brazil third, scoring six with a goal difference of three with six points, and then Jamaica at the bottom on zero points. But we've touched on Scotland. We've brought them up a couple of times there, so let's move on to Group D. Most of us would have been watching Wednesday night with wonder, but then a wild 16 minutes saw the World Cup dream for us shattered. I mean, we do have the full post-match podcast dedicated to the immediate thoughts from the game, but Campbell, you were there, so what, what was your experience now? You've had a, a few days to reflect on the match. For me, in itself, being a part of the class was a great, a great experience just to sort of see another bigger ground you're not used to in Scotland, obviously. But um, it, that was great. The whole atmosphere was fantastic as well. I mean, there was a big bunch of Scottish fans to our right, including players' families and things. Another bunch to the left, me and my friend were sort of stuck in the middle of the locals and the Argentine support. So sort of going against them was a bit of, was a bit of fun as well. Scotland... Obviously, they didn't start too great and they could have been behind with that header hitting the crossbar. But once we got the goal from Kim Little, 
and then we got the two quite in the stink half and we just thought there's like, Scotland could generally be going through in the World Cup and then Scotland just went full Scotland. I mean, the first goal we gave away, as we look at it, we don't want to complain and blame decisions, but it was a foul on Jen Beattie, by the looks of things, they get a goal. Second one was just a poor goal to give away. I mean, if Lee Alexander is three inches taller, she probably saves that one. And then, well, the less said about the penalty, the better. I mean, it probably is a penalty. It was our own fault for giving it away, though. Going to the VAR decision, as I'm sure we'll discuss soon enough, it was... I mean, given the rules, yes, it should be penalised, but at the same time, it's extremely harsh. I mean, a foot is less than what, half a step off the line. The fact she gets booked for it, and then they change the rules just after the game, it, it was just sort of bewildering. I mean, even as a full-time whistle went, the players sort of just stopped and looked around. No one kind of knew what was going on. The whole stadium, surprisingly as well, kind of was, was, we're all just kind of quiet, thinking, is that full-time? And I think it was when Lisa Evans, I think, actually sat on the pitch, we all kind of realised that must be the whistle. And it was, it was just a strange atmosphere. And then sort of a couple of minutes after, we'd all kind of go over what had happened. I mean, the Scotland fans were loud and backing the players and things, but it was just, it was totally sickening to see what had happened. And, well, going into the Paris night, even walking back along to the local bar, we'd found, past another Scotland fans, we were all just, there literally was no words in it. This. But as I says, my friend afterwards, it was a typical Scotland way to exit any tournament, never mind a World Cup. Chris Campbell's just touched on there, the rules now being changed. But in doing that, midway through a tournament, going into the, the knockout stage where you're potentially going to have two more tense affairs, going into a penalty shootout now, the rules being changed for this penalty shootout specifically, surely that admits that the rules are mistaken in the first place. What other rule applies? What, what rule can apply in one part of the game but not the other? Um, I mean that part of it but yeah as you say I think for me the fact that they've had to modify the, the own rule they've brought in suggests to me it should never have been anywhere near the tournament in the first place as, as you've just said um, it's it's the idea that we've, there's been a recognition and I, th- I think probably what you have to say is they've kind of done the right thing by changing it but it should never have been in a position where it needed changed so for whatever reason, and I'd be interested to find the kind of IFAB logic behind it. One of the things that Pierluigi Kalina said when he actually announced it was that it now means that we're seeing penalties getting taken right. And I'm like, are they? Because I don't think there was anything necessarily wrong with what penalties, the penalties getting taken. I think what was the problem was the, the, the massive encroachment the goalkeepers were doing. Yes, you could argue that that has obviously reined that in, but it's gone too far the other way. So yeah, I, I agree with your point. The fact that they've had to modify it and they haven't even been able to modify it for the entirety of the game, suggests to me that this rule, and I think the other rules have actually been all right, uh, handball aside, but this rule has um, has not been well-conceived, hasn't been tested properly, clearly, and therefore shouldn't have been anywhere near a tournament, never mind a World Cup, at any kind of tournament at this stage. I mean, for more reaction to Wednesday's game, you can go back and download Wednesday's episode of Anyone's Game podcast, which we recorded straight after the game, but we did also have England against Japan. There was two composed finishes from Ellen White there that saw England take maximum points at a World Cup group for the first time. Um, England are looking good, Campbell. They're top top to group on nine points. Do you give them a chance? I mean, that game, as I say, also didn't see it with Scotland kicking off at the same time, but you have to give them a chance. I mean, they're one of the top four teams in the world for a reason, but as again, we were discussing off here, um, England, Argentina, England, France, sorry, and the USA are all in the same sort of section of the draw. So England are going to have to beat at least one of them. Looking at the draw before it, you would fancy they'll beat Cameroon. Um, and then the next round as well against, I think it's Norway or Australia. So there's a real chance of England getting to the semi-finals, but they've not been hugely tested in the group. Scotland, of all teams, believe it or not, was probably their hardest task. So how they'll fare against the US or France should they get as far in the last four, it will be interesting to see. I mean, for England fans, Chris, that could have been a potential banana skin group. I mean, Japan aren't, you know, any easy feat to get over World Cup winners in the past. Argentina were a bit of an unknown. Nobody knew what they were going to face. And then, of, of course, the Scotland game dubbed as, as Scotland playing the old enemy. Scotland would be expected to be in their faces and be well up and motivated for that match so they've done well to negotiate that group and come through a 100% record 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, as you say, the, t- the two finishes from Ellen White were, were really good. And she has, her finishing has impressed me a lot um, in the tournament so far. Obviously, she, she got one against us as well, which we won't talk about too much. But yeah, I mean, uh, this Japan game is probably the proper test. And this is not to downplay Scotland, but on the face of things, this this was a proper test of the metal. And it was quite even, um, especially in the second half, it, it seemed to come come alive a little bit more. Sugasawa had a few chances that were well saved by Karen Parsley. But I think England have the ability, I think they actually have the ability to, to definitely go deep. Um, it's whether or not it, it all comes together for them at the right time. It feels like everything has to, the conditions have to be right for England, whereas maybe with a couple of other teams, they might force their way through it. I'm not, I'm still to see that kind of, that, that need for the grit from England. I think the Scotland game and the Argentina game, if we're being honest, were fairly easy rides for them. Yes, Scotland obviously came back into it in the second half and we got a goal, but we kind of dropped off and they managed the game very well towards the end. This first test that they had, actually, even in the... But they won 2-0 they came through it pretty, pretty well. So I think when they come against like, real quality opposition, and that probably won't happen until maybe quarter-final, semi-final stage, I think that'll be the real acid test. But I think they have had a good game and Beth Mead, too, I think has been pretty impressive and she had a really good season with Arsenal. So... Yeah, I think England, as it much pains me to say it, they they have they have an opportunity here. It just depends whether when they come up to face one of the the, the proper powers, if it's their 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 night or day, depending obviously when the kickoff is. Yeah, definitely got strength and depth there in that England squad. So they did win Group D with nine points. Japan second on four points. Argentina third on two and Scotland at the bottom, unfortunately, with only a point. Argentina's dramatic comeback meant that they still went home because they didn't secure enough points to progress and exit the World Cup at the same stage as our girls. Moving on to Group E, Netherlands 2, Canada 1 and Cameron 2, New Zealand 1. I'll start with the new Netherlands-Canada game because that was the one that I watched and I did mention last week that I feel like Netherlands-Cameroon was one of the better games so far in the World Cup. There was plenty of action between Netherlands and Canada as well, Campbell. Again, another game I didn't actually manage to see due to travel and things. We were going to actually head through to uh, Le Havre to watch the game, so not too far from Paris, but what commitments meant otherwise. But I'd watched the highlights back. The Dutch seemed to probably deserve the win. They have been another one of these teams that are not quite in the four main favourites, but they're in that sort of pack behind the likes of Italy, Australia teams like that, where you look at I think they could surprise a few folk and go a distance in the tournament. And as, as I say, you mentioned the last part, their front three is absolutely frightening. And they showed that uh, against Canada, who, as we were saying earlier on, seemed to be, again, relying too much on Sinclair. So the, the Dutch, are, they're a really impressive team. And if they can get through, then again, they're in the tough half of the draw, but you never know what could happen on the day. All the goals were second half, but the, there was a VAR incident in the first half as well where there was a penalty awarded and then it was overturned by VAR. So for all the the negative comments that have been made in Scotland over the last few days, this was one that VAR maybe got correct, Chris. Yeah, I think so. I can see why the referee probably went to give it. And actually, if you compare it to the Rachel Corsi one against Japan, it's almost of a similar nature. I think the difference in this one was, though, that there wasn't that clear kind of contact between defender and attacker. Um, and as you say, Canada had that had that VR penalty kind of rescinded. But as you say, it was another entertaining game. I thought the first half was good. Obviously, there wasn't any goals, but that kind of 20-minute period after after the second half um, started was obviously where all the action happened. And I thought, actually, as good as the front three were, I actually thought bring, uh, taking off Leakey Martins and bringing on Bernstein actually really worked for the Ireland. She looked really threatening. And I think it went to show that we can big up their front three as much as we want, but they have layers to their attack. They also brought in Jill Ruard, who obviously scored the winner against New Zealand in the first game. So I think, yeah, going forward, they've been excellent. Canada, I don't know... I don't know if there is one note as we think there. I think the name Christine Sinclair suggests that there's there's only one string to their bow. But actually, there's been players like Rachel Becky who's been good, um, uh, Michelle Prince who didn't start against the Netherlands. I was surprised that because I thought she was one of their their better players against Cameroon, and they've got Amanda Leon as well who came on for Sinclair. But yeah, I think this is probably the right outcome. But Canada are going to be tricky on this opposition. I think the, the draw of the way it's worked, is, as I'm sure we'll talk about at the end of the pod, um, is an interesting one for them. And the Netherlands, well, I, I want to say that they're going to do really well, but there's still this wee niggle in the back of my head that goes that they could at some point 
get undone because defensively I'm still to be totally convinced. Canada scored early in that game as well. That was ruled out for offside. Miedema struck the post for the Netherlands, but they did go in front. Christine Sinclair got her name on another World Cup score sheet for the fifth competition. Things are closer to that record that we spoke about in nearly every episode of reviewing the World Cup. But Berenstein, as you, you said, Chris, put Netherlands back in the lead. Elsewhere, though, drama in the Cameroon game and catching the highlights. This is the one that I wish I, I watched the full match of, which I still do intend to at some point. But it was such drama with a 95th minute winner and they go through the, the group stages. They must have been buzzing. It was Well, this was the one I actually had more attention on. So when you, when I watch it in the flat, I, 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 technology allows you to watch two games at once where possible. So I actually had the Cameroon New Zealand on as a main game and I had Netherlands Canada on because I knew Netherlands and Canada were both kind of through. Whereas this one, in a theoretical world, had implications for us and I was interested to see what, what if would have happened in this one. And as you say... Um, it all kind of kicked off with so after 57 minutes uh, Ajin and Chot put Cameron in the lead and it looked like they were on their way and then there was a uh, a pretty there's been a few pretty comical own goals but this one's right up there from a winner the Cameron defender she kind of had a swipe and a miss and uh, it spun into the net and at that point both of them would have been would have been heading out, um, but then the very last kick of the game, it, it was pretty unreal scenes. Uh, so last kick of the game, and Chop was through in goal. It was a really nice finish. She kind of slid it past Erin uh, Naylor in the uh, in the New Zealand goal, um, and they didn't even bother going back to centre circle. That was it. And at full time, obviously pandemonium in the pitch. But what you also had was you had Cameroon players actually collapsing from exhaustion and emotion and you had a couple of them getting stretched back down the tunnel. It was an incredible thing to watch, but it just shows to go, goes to show how much they put into that game and what it meant to them to obviously get that, that last-minute goal. Yeah, that was a massive game, game for them, Campbell. But the two goals in Chot scored, she was as cool as ice. I was going to bring up the winner, but even the, the, the first goal that she scored, the way she turned the defenders in both situations to calmly put the ball in the net was, was something of beauty. Cameroon in general um, have been, it's been a pretty decent team to watch, considering they haven't exactly finished. It's a tough, a tough group, obviously, but they haven't exactly set the thing alight. But they've been... They've been there, maybe lost by a goal or two, but they've went about and they've caused problems to the likes of Holland and New Zealand, obviously, um, Canada, sorry. And then against New Zealand, as you say, it's, it's two fantastic things. I mean, the one to win it is one of the, it's one of the calmest moments of the tournament itself. And obviously, it was such a big, big goal, five minutes in the stoppage time to send them through. I mean, it's, it's it was great, but Cameron overall, obviously, have been good to watch, but I just feel, kind of feel for them slightly that in the next game, you wouldn't really give them much hope against England at all, would you? Who knows? I mean, if you look at the, the Scotland game, there was only a goal in it, so you, you never know what could happen. And after all, it's a World Cup. There's always going to be twists and turns, especially when it gets to the knockout phase. If you look at if it was Scotland playing against England in the knockout stages, there would be bad decisions and everything going against us. So if what you're saying is correct, then Cameroon are going to win the World Cup. <laughs> So, finishing off Group E, Netherlands top on nine points, Canada second with six, Cameroon finished third with three points and the goal difference of minus two, New Zealand go home with zero points. And finally, moving on to Group F, Sweden nil, USA two, and likewise, Thailand nil, Chile two. Sweden and USA were both already through, so there wasn't much going into that game, but the USA kept their impressive form going with a 2-0 win and... Joining Germany with not conceding so far at this year's World Cup, but is that a surprise, Chris? Not really, and I think that it's a less of a surprise when you see that Sweden made seven changes to their starting lineup before the the game had even kicked off. So I think maybe at the start of the the, the start of the the tournament, we speculated about the fact that there's this possibility, which is now a very real possibility, of a USA France quarterfinal, and how maybe the USA going into that last game against Sweden might game it a little bit and look to look to maybe try and avoid France until a little bit later, but full credit to them, they went out and they uh, they did the job. They scored super early um, through uh, Horan, who scored after three minutes. But Sweden, I was a bit disappointed, and I thought they, it would have been good for them to go for it. Sweden and USA have got a history of drawing each other in the groups uh, group stages. I think they were one win apiece going into this one, so obviously USA have got the advantage. But as USA, they are a very, very good team, and it's going to take a very, very good team to beat them, I think. 
one thing you did say the the goal was scored early by Horan there, but then the second goal was officially given as an own goal. But I would have given that one to Heath. It wasn't really too much of a difference, and the the shot was still on target. No, no, sure. It was, it was one of these ones where it's. I don't think Tobin Heath even looking at the glance. She's trying to cross it. If she was fine, but the ball wasn't on target. The deflection took it on target as a goal. Shouldn't make it beat at your front post goalkeeper again. I'm going to complain about that as I did in the last pod, but. As an own goal, yes, I get your point, but at the same time, I'm going to be one of these folk that love sticking to these stupid, ridiculous FIFA rules that we have now, and it's an own goal, but as we say, at the end of the day, does it really make a difference? No. Sweden, we knew it obviously looked good against Thailand and Chile. It's, it's different playing against a bigger team like the US. Again, they find in this group the likes of Italy, Holland teams, and they can cause problems, but not going to go too far. But the USA, you can't really see past them getting even past France despite them being the hosts if you can't see past USA you probably couldn't see the drama that was going to happen right at the end in the Thailand-Chile game so at the end of this game Chile were 2-0 victors over Thailand but they needed a three goal win to go through to the knockout stages and they had their chances in the first half they hit the woodwork the whole game and no, no more no much more so than the, the penalty right at the end for them to try and get that third goal and you saw just how heartbroken Chile were at the end of that game. Oh, it was like the ball was magnetically attracted to the post for Chile when they were uh, almost throughout that game. As you say, they were turning up, needing a three-goal lead, and they get this penalty um, after Maria Jose Huratia was fouled. Um, uh, Francisca Lara steps up. She was one of the players that didn't start against the USA. And to hit it off the bar, and then just to see... Oh, to, to come that close... Uh, I mean, think, uh, let's put our Scotland hats on for a wee second... Think how close we came and then how close Chile came at that same instance. And, of course, obviously what happened to us is a consequence of that. But if you think about how we felt on Wednesday night when that, that penalty went in um, from Argentina, that is probably how Chile were feeling when they missed that penalty um, against Thailand in that, in that last moment of the same game. Who would you say is more unlucky there than Scotland for the fact that we have the penalty saved has to be retaken or Chile for the fact that they missed the penalty? I, I don't know if you can say either are unlucky um, because Scotland didn't manage a 3-0 lead with 14 minutes to go. So, yes, obviously the last the, the last incidents with the penalty um, are, have been very key in that, but to get to that position in the first place, we kind of lost our way a little bit. I think this is now the kind of... The, the, once the emotions died down a little bit and you start reflecting on it, and you, you, can you say Scotland are unlucky when we're 3-0 up with 14 minutes to go? I'm not sure. In the same token, Chile had that opportunity and he didn't take it. So they weren't unlucky to hit the bar. They they didn't take the opportunity. I think luck can sometimes be used as a an easy way of, especially when you're the person that's happened to it, an easy way of saying, nah, it's not it's not us. It's been it's been fate. Fate has dictated it in that that respect. I think luck comes down to more that you know you've got the penalty. The ball's in the the ball's in the spot. You're just really asking to hit the target. You've got the whole goal to shoot at. It's just a question of where the keeper's going to go. Whereas, in Lee Alexander's perspective, she's made the save. She made the save how she's probably saved penalties all the way through her career without much of a difference. And then something that is only really in play to her in this tournament. It doesn't happen in the domestic game. So, it's maybe not luck, but it's just... Is it unfortunate? I don't know what the word is, but I'd God, uh, yeah, I'd, as Alexander than I am as as the as Lara taking the, the Chile penalty. Yeah, I, I I get the 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 point you're making in that respect, but I think if you were to ask me in, in a general qualification per, uh, point, I would say it's all, it was always far more in our hands than it was in Chile's up until the, those last moments. But yeah, I, I totally appreciate the point that you're right that Lee Alexander probably has saved that penalty. I mean, she's done it for Scotland, not uh, not just. Uh, Against Poland at St. Mirren Park, so she she has done that. But I think that I, I I couldn't really tell you which one has been more unlucky because I think there's elements of luck and maybe other things at play that that have meant both teams haven't made it through. Just to finish off on one question: Did the Thailand goalkeeper stay in her line? That's I don't know. I didn't watch it. That's what I was thinking I was at the time. Country. <laughs> at the time I didn't even look at it after all the drama on Wednesday night you'd expect the next time you see a penalty to be watching the goalkeeper closely but even after all that I, I wasn't 
it didn't bother me. I didn't keep an eye on the goalkeeper. I was just so focused on watching the penalty because of what the penalty meant. And the eyes are always on the penalty taker. I don't think it's natural to be really watching the goalkeeper. So it's something, even after all the talk we've had about it, the next penalty comes up, I, d- I didn't even look at the goalkeeper. I mean, that's your question. And the answer from every one of us is, I don't know. Then I guess she did stay on her line because if she comes off the line, they're going to go, they're going to make the retake it. So I presume she was on her line and it's just Lara's fault for simply leaning back and putting the ball off the bar. She must feel terrible, but at the same time, that's football. And Kimberly, let's say Chile deserved to go through, having watched in the previous two games. Apart from Christian Endler, probably not. I'm just being controversial to for the sake of it. We'll see everybody that's listening to the podcast go and check the Thailand goalkeeper now after after speaking about that. But uh, yeah, so Group Group F, that was the games that finished off match day three in the group stages of the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup. USA topping the group on nine points, Sweden second on six. Chile on three points with that minus three goal difference, which sees them marginally miss out in Thailand, bottom on zero, which means France, Norway, Nigeria, Germany, Spain, China, Italy, Australia, Brazil, England, Japan, Netherlands, Canada, Cameroon, USA and Sweden are your teams that qualify for the last 16 uh, moving on to the, the knockout stages, round of 16, there's a, a number of games there, but before I go through the list, I'd just like to ask each of you, what is your pick from the knockout stage, round of 16 matches? Campbell, you go first. France versus Brazil. Um, France are the hosts, obviously, makes for a full crowd that's going to be a lot noisier, but Brazil haven't exactly been pushovers in any games they've played so far. They've all caused France problems. I'm looking forward to that game, to be honest. So I'll stick with that one. Chris, I'm going to ask you to try and pick a different game. Which one's your eye on? No, I mean, I think I think France to Brazil is obviously the one that draws the eye because it's the hosts, one of their favourites against Brazil, who are almost mythical levels of ability, irrespective of whether it's men's football or women's football. But I think the Netherlands against Japan, I think that's, that's one to keep an eye on. Japan have this really good recent history in the World Cup, obviously won it in 2011, finalists in 2015, the Netherlands 2017 European champions, this attacking team that we've mentioned again here, this attacking team that have been really entertainers, not just against Canada, but in their game against Cameroon, and they even provided drama in their 1-0 win against New Zealand. Japan, this very almost stereotypically technical uh, Asian team, really good at the ball, can really put the pressure on with possession, and as I said, with the Netherlands, I'm not sure defensively if I've been totally convinced yet. And if Japan can do against the Netherlands what they did against Scotland for the, the, a good part of that game and really put the pressure on in terms of possession football, I think we're going to have a really interesting and potentially really attacking game, especially if Japan maybe get an early goal. Two really big games to look forward to. So Germany take on Nigeria and Norway face Australia. That happens today as we're recording the podcast. Then we have England will play Cameroon, host France, as we said, meet Brazil, Spain are up against USA, Sweden take on Canada, Italy face off against China, and lastly, the Netherlands will play against Japan. But every team scored at the 2019 Women's World Cup, which is a, a nice note to end on. And although some sides are leaving us early, it's been a thoroughly entertaining journey through the group stages so far. If you're Scottish, it's been an emotional end. But there's plenty of action still to come from the FIFA Women's World Cup in France. But for this episode, it's goodbye from Campbell. Goodbye. Goodbye from Chris. See ya. And goodbye from me, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening. This year, two teams from Scotland have qualified for the Women's Champions League. Glasgow City have a bye until last 32, but Hibs enter in the qualifying group stage. They will be in Salvina between the 7th and the 13th of August, where they will play group hosts Permergy, Belchini, Georgians, FC Nike, and Welsh domestic treble winners Cardiff Met, and I apologise if I've pronounced any of those teams wrong. I spoke to Hibs head coach Gant Scott straight after the draw. I suppose we're fairly happy with the draw. Um... Could have been more difficult, I suppose, with the, with the greatest respect to the teams that are there. You know, we'll um, we'll have a look at them as best as we can, and um, but you know, believe in, believe that we've got chances to win matches, which is obviously important. Um, you know, we've missed a couple of the kind of big guns that were maybe um, you know seeded in a kind of strange, not in a strange fashion. I know it's done legit, but you know, just look a little bit out of place in terms of what pot they were in. So. We've missed a couple of them, which is good. Um, so, aye, overall quite happy. 
think the big thing over there is going to be the heat in it at August. I think maybe could be up to that degree. Yeah, that'll be the biggest problem, obviously. Um, you know, coming away travelling as always takes it a wee bit out of the, the, the players. Um, and then you've got the heat to, to handle. You know, we'll need a full squad for the, the three games, that's for sure. Um, so it'll be tough, right? there's no doubt about it. Um, but if we can get here a couple of days beforehand, let the players settle in, hopefully, um, uh, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm going by Wikipedia, so it's obviously hard to work out who's the toughest opponent. I guess it's maybe the hosts. I suppose it's a good thing you don't play until your, your third game. Yeah, I think um, no, I think you're right though. The fact that they're you know you've got to take the kind of rankings, I guess, as as the gospel at this at this point in time. Um, you know, for them to be second kind of seed in the group and and also at home gives them a bit of an advantage potentially. So um, you know they'll be used to conditions and. I suppose if we're playing them third game, you know, who knows what's happened in the first two. But um, I, I would foresee them being the toughest ones. But, you know, the Welsh game will be quite tough as well. You know, obviously, British style of football and they'll probably have access to footage of our games and stuff more than we will have the foreign sites. But, um, aye, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, mate. But I would imagine the home side will be tough to beat. Yeah, it's going to be so hard to work out who's, who's good and who's not. I mean, obviously, Glasgow City played uh, a golden team last year beat them 7-0 but this, this team again I'm I'm going by Wikipedia but they seem to have beaten them 9-2 a few weeks ago they've won they've scored 75 goals in 9 games uh, it's, it's going to be a nightmare just working out engaging it yeah uh, I, I mean I watched the I watched the City game last year um, and the Georgian team were they were very strange very played, played in a style and a way that I've never seen before so um you know, that'll be quite difficult to come up against for the players. You've got to assume this team's maybe a wee bit better in current form and, and obviously league position and stuff. But um yeah, so we'll we'll you know, we'll actually like Kevin if you you're going into the unknown a little bit, you've just got to maybe on these occasions focus a wee bit more on yourself and, and figure things out as the game goes on. But um aye, we'll we'll do our best. Yeah. Obviously, I mean it's been a couple of years since Hibs have been in it. It's great that the fact that we're talking about this, Hibs in the, the Champions League. Oh, I think it's brilliant. I mean, you know, just uh, um, I get the opportunity for the players to go away, you know, and and p- pitch themselves against different op- opposition. And as I say, probably even for the staff, myself, you know, we're we're probably going to have to figure things out during the ninety minutes, um, which you generally do anyway. But it's a bit more um, informed when you're doing it in a league match at home, you know. So. Um, Aye, so that'll be a test for us all, a big challenge. But um, aye, just, you know, delighted at the efforts of the girls over the last year or two and, and you know, national team city's performances um, have, have allowed us to get the second place and we're in it. So aye, delighted. You know, our, our aim 100% is to progress from the group and anything else we'll be disappointed with. Um, and again, without being disrespectful to our opponents, they'll have the same ambitions. Cardiff, I know, have done quite well in the last couple of years and... and came to the fore a little bit in, in the Welsh League but um, again you know I know from uh, a couple of years ago we had Swansea in, in one of the matches um, so we'll know we'll have a rough idea of the level that we'll be up against when we play them but aye everything's a bit unknown right now um, just, final, just final question just what I've got you um, just to ask you what you've made of the, the World Cup and sort of performances probably like everyone else I, I mean I think they've been it's been a bit harsh on the squad. I feel like you know they deserved um, much more than they got in the final match. Um, you know, there's been a bit of debate, and I've, I've seen a lot of stuff, discussion about the performances in the first two, which you know had kind of first half, second half performance levels in them. Um, and I'm sure that wasn't the aim, and it's all that'll all be a bit disappointing. But you know, the, the highly debated. Um, assistant referee thing and and the the quality of the officials and some of the stuff that I've never seen anything like what happened in the last game um, the Argentina game uh, you know the players have done so much put so much into it um, and the last few minutes were just absolutely incredible quite unbelievable to see um, but uh, you know being devil's advocate no criticism of anybody involved you know there was a uh, there was a wee bit of a I just I felt they should have maybe there should have been a wee switch in the mentality of of three nil three one maybe closing the game out a wee bit better than they did and you know that's that's just football you can have those moments and if if they played that game ten times over they would they would see it out I'm absolutely certain 
Um, but, you know, I think the tournament on a whole has been marred by lots of strange decisions and probably never seen so many penalties in a, in a tournament. Um, but no, I, I think the girls for, for, you know, if they'd gone away and hadn't even scored a goal, we should all be taking our hats off to them having qualified for their first one. Um, but they've done much better than that. They've ranked, you know, they've ran England and Japan so close, um, you know, two much higher ranked teams. Um, and to be honest, they should have just seen out the game and, and had their victory against Argentina. So, you know, it's a wee bit of a shame, um, but I think they just have to... Um, this is a, an, another stepping stone, and I'm sure they'll go on to bigger and better performances from here. Anyone's Game Podcast. Anyone's Game Podcast. Following women's football. On Sunday afternoon, Aberdeen's under-19s beat Hearts 1-0 to lift the SHAP National Performance League Cup at Ravenscraig. Ely Mahati got the only goal of the game and afterwards, head coach Jockey Lawrence spoke to the Anyone's Game podcast. So congratulations, once get, get your hands in the trophy. Oh, it's great, considering where we've come from. You know, the girls had no coach at the start of the season. I came in and basically we had to start from scratch. They weren't expected to win any games and either uh, compete with some of these teams because the, the teams have been involved for a while. So to uh, be unbeaten in the league and win a trophy by the end of June it's it's a miracle absolute miracle but the girls have worked really really hard at training they've, they've changed the way they've been coached the last couple of years to the, the way I want them to play and it's it's reaped benefits you know and they've, they've got the rewards for it so can I thank them enough for their hard work it's been absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant I've not made it uh, easy for you have the Vigor Celtic and Hearts oh yeah and a three hour bus journey down <laughs> some of the girls had to get up at half past five in the morning to get down here so I think I probably tailed in some of the girls on their legs today so but we have to you have to win the cup some way so you've got to beat the best teams and then if you beat the best ones the trophy's there at the end the reward's there so we kind of thank them enough for their, as I say, for their effort for the last three, four months. It's been brilliant. I think it is quite apt at the final team, Aberdeen Hearts. Is it feel, feel good factor among both these clubs now? Well, it, yeah, I think it is because Hearts are quite a strong physical team and, and they'll compete with the likes of Celtic and Rangers and they'll be between us and the other three. So, as I say, we've got Hamilton next week in the league so we can finish the first half of the season unbeaten. So. Nobody ever thought that, and certainly the girls never thought that from the first grade. So here we go, we'll wait and see, get the result there, and then we'll look forward to the summer holidays and regroup, bring in a couple of new players and see what happens second half of the season. So, no, it's been quite interesting. And I guess it's just the beginning, you're wanting to see more these days? Well, you want, you, you want the girls to enjoy these days. You know, us, us coaches, we're just there to coach. You know, we, we're not there to look for the glory it's it's a girls we're trying to develop the girls so that one day they get to play for the first team and win trophies with the first team you know that's Scott and uh, Craig and, and Jamie's aim as well is develop them so they know how to play the game and know how to win games and then hopefully win trophies in two or three years time with the first team so fingers crossed you know I've be, I've managed the first team and won trophies with them many years ago so this is just a start again for these girls it's a long journey for them but some of them will stick it out and some of them will move on to other clubs but at the end of the day if we can develop half of them and get them half half of them into the first team we'll, we've done our job and that's what we're here to do is develop them for the first team so hopefully Harley and Emma will be happy <laughs> that's it for this podcast thanks again for tuning in we're always happy to hear suggestions or criticism of the podcast. You can email agpodcast at yahoo.com or tweet us at underscore anyone's game. Uh, the other lads will be back in midweek with another podcast after the last 16 games. Until then, bye for now. You are listening to the Anyone's Game podcast. For advertising inquiries, email agpodcast at yahoo.com.